Hey, oh, that. Oh, hey, hey, yeah. hey! Good Counting Crows reference again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good job, Josh. <laughs> I I did just do a Counting Crows reference again. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> yep. Hello, everybody. It is two thousand and three, and we are listening to Counting Crows. Motherfucker. <laughs> Lol, that you think Counting Crows were big in two thousand and three, buddy. What do you mean? That's when they were featured on the the Shrek Two soundtrack. I fe- I imagine that's the peak of their popularity. Pretty sure that was uh what was it ninety five ninety six when Aura and I were that that sounds closer. We're young because we're not old people anymore. We weren't even alive, probably. I wasn't alive. <laughs> and you won't be again soon. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Further Ado. It did sound like the, something from this movie. The the podcast where I threaten the lives of people younger than me because I resent them. <laughs> it's okay i'm used to it by now i'm to understand host. the plague's gonna get us all anyway so yeah fair enough uh i'm your host josh uh with me is aura and also cody so regrettably with me is with me in one <laughs> might say uh, not physically but one might say uh in spirit <laughs> fart huh? noise no huh? might no. one say that might one I just got a uh, text notification that we are now bankrupt. <laughs> oh, that's a delay on that notification. That's been mm. coming a long time. <laughs> mm. So, Aura, uh, so are we affiliated with anything? I don't know. I was trying to pull up the script. Uh, <laughs> are there websites you can, uh, we're located at? <laughs> you, can, you can find all of our fun podcasts and other fun stuff. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, not like this movie, but fun stuff at uh, <laughs> thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm or on our Facebook site. Just do a search for That Podcast Stays Up All Night. Slumber Party. Yep. They'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, figure it out. Right. Yeah. Man, if I can find us, but I, you know, like we're getting new <laughs> listeners. You know, you know how many years I've been at this, Cody? You think I'm going to figure it out now? <laughs> Three years. Ship has sailed. So, Cody, what are we? Uh, oh, I, I forgot. I need to make clear at this point that there are spoilers and swears. Spoilers and swears. Spoilers and swears. I'm uh, sweary. Spoileries. Sweary. Uh, Cody, what are we? What are we swearing and spoiling? Fuck. Bruce Willis dies in in several movies. Spoilers and swears. <laughs> And in real life, in the long term, I suppose. So, Cody, what are we doing this week? <laughs> Did you just threaten right. national treasure, Bruce Willis? I, no, I just pointed out the horrible march to the grave that is human existence. So, <laughs> Cody, what movie are we doing this week? This uh, this bastard of a film. Uh, we are doing Frank Miller's The Spirit. I feel like you got to say his name because he deserves the full weight of his crimes. <laughs> This, yeah. Many, many crimes of which this film is but one. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, but Cody, you silly millennial bastard, uh, this is supposed to be a movie related to the things that we did last week on that podcast, that podcast we never do. Uh, yeah. Where, where we did uh, Freshman, and, uh, which is a dumb superhero comic, and Cryptozoic Man, which is a dumber superhero comic. So how, how is it related? Uh, so both of those uh, things that we covered uh, are definitely properties by creators who who thought that they had these big boy pants on, 
a little bit, kind of stepping outside your zone, <laughs> Seth Green co-writing a comic, and then uh, people on a uh, retail reality show also thought that they could write a uh, comic. Uh, this time, oh, sorry. <laughs> They're also part of Kevin Smith's like rotating background cast. So. Yeah sort of actors right and sort of comic book artists and, and writers <laughs> uh so we instead this week watched a movie by a sort of comic book creator who uh who watched somebody else make a movie of his thing and thought oh i can do that and then decided to go for a massive legacy property that had been in development hell for years and then decided, hey, I'm going to use this as a blueprint for the sequel to the movie that got made for my thing. Hey, everybody really respects this Eisner guy. How about I take a big fucking smelly dump all over his fucking great life's work? Yeah. Hey, well, okay, so look, can I, I have a little bit of background on this while I tear tear paper. I'm going to have to get into background. And not mute myself. Did we uh, say the apology. spirit? The movie's the spirit. Yeah, sorry, the spirit. <laughs> Will Eisner's the spirit, a la Frank Miller. Will uh, Will Eisner and Frank Miller like actually had this like long-standing like creator relationship. Uh, there's a book uh, from Dark Horse. I haven't read it unfortunately, uh, but it, it it does exist called Shop Talk all about mm. like conversations between Frank Miller and Will Eisner. Um, so like, like the, this, I imagine was in some ways a, a Frank Miller passion project. Yeah. Uh, and I did, uh, I, I did listen to a little bit of the audio commentary at the end of the movie. I didn't, I didn't realize it had a commentary on it. Otherwise I would have watched with the commentary on the whole time, but the commentary crying has... the whole time. <laughs> uh, the commentary is is by Frank Miller on the DVD anyway. Um, and and just so, Frank Miller talking about how you can't trust Arabs the whole time. Oh well. Oh. Um, what? We ne- we'll get into is it. We'll get into it. People, Frank Miller has odious fucking personal views. <laughs> we'll get into it. He has apologized for some things. He's partially apologized. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care because I read fucking Holy Terror. Do you suppose? And I hope he- that as a person, he's moved on. But I am done with him as a fucking artist i can tell you that interesting tell me like what's that where's that inclination come from josh where does my being done with him yeah uh well do we want to i suppose we we do need to get into the history behind this in order to get somewhere with it right and i'm not surprised by the way that eisner and miller would would have been uh i think i'd heard that before but also i think it's not super surprising if you look at their art style like, I just I thought they were like in t- almost two different timelines. I think of like oh, Eisner. Yeah. yeah, I guess I just didn't know that he was still kicking around for that long. When did Will Eisner uh, die? Gosh, he died in like the 90s, late nineties, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then yeah, maybe even early two thousand. Okay. Yeah, he made it for quite a while. Like he lived to see the awards be named after him and to mentor a lot of because he, his main his 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 early career was in the war era, like the World War Two era. Yeah. Uh, and then he kind of vanished for a long time, wherein he was working with the army, uh, mostly illustrating manuals, weirdly enough. He had this, uh, we've talked a bit about Eisner on the show before, although I think those episodes are gone. Uh, yeah. 
where like his, his initial work was on superhero stuff and he was very innovative in sort of the f establishing the the factory model of comics creation where you would have people designated for like this guy's the writer this guy's the pencils this guy's the ink mm -hmm. uh like the eisner shop was one of the early adopters of that model and was very influential on the industry as a result um but i don't know i guess he didn't ever like, I think he was one of those people that in the early era didn't initially view comics as something very artistically valid, which was pretty common in those days. Hmm. And I or, suspect that's why when World War II was going in earnest, he was just like, I better enlist and do something useful with my life. Almost more uh, of like an advertising thing, which is similar to a lot of like comic or like just cartoonist creative people anyway, as backgrounds in, in marketing and ad. A lot of comics people wanted to be commercial illustrators, I believe. I think, or you could, you yes. could back me up on that. Because uh, that was the that was the reputable version of what they were doing, um, and so <laughs> many of the them army. many of them couldn't get jobs because they were uh, Jewish. Yeah, which that's is why which is the the exclusion that Eisner faced. And that's sort of the horrible truth behind uh, anti-Semitic lies about Jews dominating the media is that often the Jews were a heavy presence in certain earlier turn of the century media because they couldn't get jobs elsewhere, and because. Uh, because non-Jewish white people hadn't yet figured out that there was money to be had. <laughs> um, so Eisner went into the army and he was actually pretty well reputed for uh, incorporating illustrations and a more colloquial sensibility into army operation manuals. Uh, so he was, he, he was well regarded for that. And I think he did some commercial work after the war and like, uh, working as someone as a commercial illustrator or something like that uh, before eventually returning to comics, I think around the, the comics with an X boom in mm. the seventies uh, where all of a sudden there were all these underground artists and Eisner who had always been kind of unhappy with the superhero uh, grind uh, with the, with the genre grind of early comics, I think uh, was like, Hey, here's a chance to tell different stories. So he became, he had a sort of second boom writing these very personal, like mostly stories about the New York immigrant and Jewish experiences uh, mm -hmm. in the, the, the first half of the 20th century. Uh, like Contract with God and Other Stories, if you ever read it, is a fucking amazing book. Uh, and one of the first books, I think, to ever really introduce the idea of the graphic novel as opposed to just a collection of, of former, of, of things that had been an issue as a work of art. Uh, cannot recommend Contract with God enough. It's a fucking amazing book. Uh, anyway, at that point, he kind of settled into being sort of the dean of comics, you know, like the mm -hmm. guy that everybody respected. And the thing is, if you look at his illustration style, particularly in his later years, I think, and you look at Miller's, particularly early in his career, I think you see a lot of influence. Like, I think there's both a, a sort of, I mean, Miller often, worked with color but i think there's a sort of innate want to be black and white in some of this stuff like with line work and things like that oh and i think you see the yeah. same with eisner's especially with a lot of his later work wouldn't have uh borders on his panels it would just be sort of free flowing across mm -hmm. the page like and uh they both had sort of a line work sensibility that i think I, i'm not good enough at describing what that would be but i, I see the similarity and i understand why they would uh as minds like why they would want to talk because they have 
in terms of the drawings that they do, a similarity. And the mm -hmm. one thing I will not take away from Frank Miller in my disgust with him uh, is that he's a great artist. I, I think his art is, I mean, he's sometimes a bit lazy. Yeah, I was just, uh, you saw that uh, Robin 80th. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that one cover. He sometimes lets his, like, he sometimes lets minimalism become laziness, and it's a it's a it's a fine line. And sometimes I think he crosses over into the laziness threshold. I've I've seen a lot of things that talk about when you can see somebody's art and immediately recognize it because of a certain style. They talk about yeah. it's not like you start with a style. You learn things like anatomy and structure and perspective, and as you continue your quote-unquote style is basically you finding the shortcuts that work the best for you over time and it can be both good and bad but one way or another it's something that starts to set you apart because every single person even if you're copying somebody else will eventually develop their own way of doing things yeah and miller's way of doing things is actually a kind of art there's a minimalism to it and i really like that kind of art it just appeals to that like 90s indie Oni and, and slave labor graphic shit that I fucking eat up. There's a reason why that Daredevil like run is so iconic. I think it definitely attributes to why the first season of the Netflix show was so well received and popular compared to some of the other like direct to market Marvel series have been. <laughs> I, mean, I think you mean every other Netflix <laughs> Marvel series. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Yes, absolutely. Um there was there was actually one or two points in this movie in the spirit where it was just like a straight up and down vertical like white panel but then angled like black on both sides that was the silhouette of uh alleyway like fire escapes and it, i swear it looked almost exactly like that daredevil cover like i could yeah. almost see the fire escape being the exact same one <laughs> on that uh cover and one criticism I also won't level against this movie is that it is a beautifully shot film. That it is. Like, there's, it's, if, you, if you take even, I mean, I'm going to reveal something to the audience here. I didn't rewatch this movie. I meant to, but I never <laughs> got around to it because uh, it fucking sucks. I did, uh, we were originally going to record this earlier than we did, and I was sort of trying to crash course it because I, I couldn't find it to stream anywhere. And I was like, I'll be fucked if I'm going to give $4 to Frank Miller on fucking Amazon to rent this shit. <laughs> Uh, so I, I went on YouTube and the only thing I had was like, oh, the ending of the spirit. And I was like, ah, watch this, get an idea of what it was. <laughs> it was like, uh, like a five, 10 minute clip. And by the end of it, I was like, I, this is turds. This, oh, this oh, is I turds. Remember but it was so beautifully this. shot, even on the shitty quality YouTube pixelated frames shit. But, uh, but the problem with Frank Miller isn't, isn't usually the visual <laughs> is what I'm mm. getting at. No, it's um, not. Frank Miller has always been something of a conservative, from what I understand. Uh, so he's he's involved yeah. in Robo. He's involved in RoboCop, and for him, like RoboCop was, you know, like a like a thing to do, not like a not like a you know a well a job. Well, no. Um, I'm, I'm curious about not a satire in the way that Verhoeven. Satire, satire was the word I was fishing for. Because the director Paul Verhoeven, who also did uh, Starship Troopers, uh, he did them as, as send-ups of the mentalities behind them, uh, which is kind oh, of really, yeah, which is kind of not fair, particularly with Starship Troopers, because uh, Starship Troopers is a kind of libertarian book, 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, and although I disagree with many of its assertions and Heinlein's beliefs, it's kind of unfair <laughs> to use his work to send up his beliefs. Um, yeah. That's like I the, I get that. The Nazis did that with Eudesus and it was fucked up. <laughs> but I mean, at least in this so I know more about the Starship Troopers stuff because we were just talking about this at work the other day. Like I feel like the fans and the director definitely have because like if you read that book versus those movies they're very very oh. different and like not right only there. just yeah like almost everything it's almost like they kind of like oh this is also a good idea we're just using the same name because it was a kick-ass yeah. name and the movie is an adventure story with a frankly kind of frivolous critique of of uh of authoritarianism yeah mostly through cutaway commercials that have nothing <laughs> to do with the story would you like to know more uh, which I, I suppose if I was going to criticize Verhoeven, that would be my big criticism of him, is he wants to be this huge social critic, but he doesn't have the balls to make that a part of his story. It's always just in the background. <laughs> um, the book is an elaborate justification for a fairly authoritarian military state. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even think Heinlein agreed with everything that's in the book, but like he's trying to be like, well, what it, you know if there if we accept this idea that citizenship requires military service and sacrifice like what's that look like and any the, the the narrator strongly argues for it and there's an interesting question as to how much that's timeline and how much he's reading into the world you know mm-hmm. uh but anyway so this is a different thing frank miller right uh, he was kind of a libertarian back in the the 80s uh he wrote this, he's written several entries in the fucking god-awful Martha Washington series. Anyone, or have you ever read any of those? I have Before? not. I have had them suggested to me. Uh, I, I own... Technically, it's it's Haley's. It was a it was something I gave her as a gift, but I have uh, the oversized edition of the big guy and Rusty, and that's a Frank Miller written thing that's drawn by Jeff Darrow and yeah. it was a Fox I believe cartoon for a brief period of time where it, it gained popularity but the book uh, absolutely gets into some uh, American what's the word uh, nationalism it's there's yeah. definitely this kind of like poo-pooing on the Japanese and needing to be bailed out during times of war by the big awesome Americans who of course like have the perfect solution, like ready to go so much so that their initial robot, which is the beginning of the book develops this sort of complex for a manned robot thinking it's like another human being, something to a person to emulate, even though the Japanese robot is more like technically advanced. So that's how you get the big guy and rusty (laughs) rusty is, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Uh-huh. It's it's Sounds gorgeous. Like it's, uh, it has politics somewhat. Yeah, it's it's really really pretty, and it's definitely kind of some like in between the line stuff. But like when you start reading the whole thing, it's pretty unavoidable. Like that, there's a lot of like scientists talking. It's kind of like a Godzilla movie where scientists bickering in the background is really their like exposition for whatever their social commentary is type of thing. And uh, this book, it, it does that like a lot, but there's like a couple of different entries into it. And it's more of a Jeff Darrow art thing than it is a Frank Miller writing thing. Cause it's like, uh, 
the conflict is dinosaurs start erupting from the interior of the earth and you find out that all the dinosaur bones that we've had all along are actually the remains of demons and so all of the demons like in hell are actually just these huge messed up t-rexes and stuff like that and we didn't get the structure right so they're bones are way more horrifying looking or their forms are so it looks awesome uh so the thing about martha washington that i find interesting is that there were several entries in it different times in frank miller's life and you see the evolution of his politics and it's not his best i guess i should say at this point his best known work is dark knight returns which is a Revisionist Batman take, if anyone is unfamiliar with it. Uh, I don't think there's a ton of politics to it, except that, I don't know, Frank Miller thinks there needs to be some kind of social control and that and it's sort of individualist, but it's there's not a ton of politics, I think, to read into it, other than that he doesn't, and, and he doesn't like Jerome, because there's a, there's a talk show, like one of those fucking 80s talk show Montel type hosts that, that, uh, that he takes to the woodshed for a, a fair amount of that book. Um, I think Martha Washington is an interesting register of his politics. It's set in the f in the future. It starts. It's about this uh, African American woman who becomes a soldier. As the first one is pretty boring. Hmm. That is interesting art on the uh, one that Cody was talking about there. The the rusty one. Uh, sorry about that. I know you were. I interrupted you, but uh, it's. <laughs> The Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot by Frank Miller okay. and Jeff Darrow. Cool, cool. Yeah, I think I'd always seen that that was one of them, but I never got around to reading it. I'll let you borrow um, It's fantastic. So yeah, the first one in Martha, the first entry in Martha is a pretty boring military story. Uh, the second entry, she basically joins an Anne Rand breakaway society. <laughs> it's all, the, all the world's great billionaires vanish and build a giant pyramid and she goes to fucking work for them and that's that's portrayed as the fucking best result for the world but then in the next installment of it they've all betrayed her because they're all secretly corrupt and then she has to go to space and get all this power and all this shit uh and i think what you see in there is miller's early kind of libertarian politics becoming more and more sort of angry and weird uh, I think we also see this with the sequel to Dark Knight Returns, which I can't remember the name of. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I think it is it. I believe it's just Dark Knight Returns two, or did they not start doing that until three? Dark Knight think, Strikes Back. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say that, but then I was like, but that's just ripping off Star Wars. But yep, Dark they just Dark Knight Star Wars. Three, the Master Race. Ugh. Dark Knight uh, three point five or whatever, the Golden Child. Four. They call it Dark four. Knight. They do call it four, huh? Yeah. Dark Knight 2 is fucking conspiracy theory whack job bullshit about superheroes being imprisoned by the government. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we see him at that point becoming an Alex Jones type. Mm. Um, and uh, that's, uh, he continues on that line for a bit. He like lionizes this very inaccurate view of Sparta with 300. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he loves just—he loves stroking his ego about three hundred too. Fucking dumb gun nuts love the idea of the three hundred. They also have no idea what actually happened at Thermopylae. <laughs> um, no, they Gerard like, Butler kicked simple... that guy in the pit, right? <laughs> this uh, is Sparta. 
for starters, there were probably, uh, I think it's 3,000 to 5,000 Greeks fighting at Thermopylae, including several of the Spartan slaves, because the Spartans, although you don't see it in that fucking movie, uh, had an entire <laughs> fucking culture that they had enslaved, which is why Sparta didn't go to war all that often, was because they'd have slave revolts back home whenever they did. Anyway... <laughs> There's, there's just so many fucking inaccuracies. The first to that. democracy, Josh. Uh, that would be Athens. <laughs> you didn't and pay attention to the do, movie, clearly. <laughs> no. uh, eh. You know, what bothers me about all that shit about those historical inaccuracies is that real history is usually so much more interesting. And you see these fucking stories about it that are stupid and simplified. Speaking of real history being interesting, just something that I think is worth noting is the weird surroundings that like obviously we're going to get into it but like yeah. frank miller is directing the spirit who is his buddy will eisner's thing robert rodriguez did sin city one and then co-directed two with frank miller who i don't know why they saw the spirit and was like oh yeah you can still co-direct a movie but then his uh, frank miller has had his movies done by uh zach snyder and Zack Snyder has also done lots of other comic book movies with also very um, differing opinions surrounding like the creation of them and what they're supposed to be interpreted this is, as. This is where Josh is going to come out as a Zack Snyder lover. Be careful. <laughs> we already know we love Sucker I don't punch. make any bones about that. <laughs> I think Zack Snyder is a great filmmaker who's uh, misunderstood because he happens to be a moron. <laughs> yeah he thinks that there could be a sears in smallville and if this is a thing about him having superman kill zod that's the <laughs> obvious solution to zod <laughs> what you're just gonna have evil superman flying around he's Speak trying to murder people when superman kills him so after I moved out Superman of like, Superman doesn't these kill people. though, Josh. Like that's that's a part of the thing. So so what you're saying is that the good Superman would allow him to vaporize everybody in that museum? No, the the good Superman would go find some lead and fucking put it around his face and the you good know? Superman would find some plot armor. The good, the good Superman that has <laughs> no idea that lead stops heat at this era. <laughs> That, if it were written differently, that good Superman if, would, though. If it was written so that there wasn't, so that it was lacking Look. interesting and difficult moral conundrums, yes. Guys, 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 we're shitting on this comic book movie, not Man <laughs> of Steel. Uh, me, and jo me and Josh and another uh, person who has been on the show, our good friend Nick, uh, have run back and forth this same <laughs> argument on, on so, each other's between several times. <laughs> so the, the, what the listeners are getting right now is the benefit of us having refined all of our arguments over time. This is particularly <laughs> between me and Nick, who had a huge <laughs> argument as to whether Terry Gilliam or Zack Snyder was the biggest director, was the better director. Oh, Jesus. Terry Gilliam can't even finish a fucking movie about Don Quixote. Just saying, Nick. Just it got sad. finished. <laughs> it's out. He well, that's right. He finally got around to it after 30 fucking years. Have you read about the ending that he wanted for Watchmen? Hey, you know what? <laughs> if, if, if the spirit would have taken 35 years to make, it might not have been a piece of shit. 
<laughs> there's there's one other Frank Miller thing that I want to go into before, which is the reason why I fucking <laughs> I, I, all this stuff. The fact that I disagree with his politics and stuff, whatever. I I think Zack Snyder is probably a bit right wing, writer wing than I like. Um, but here's the thing: Frank Miller uh, wrote a book called Holy Terror, which, according to rumor, was supposed to be a follow up in the Dark Knight series. Uh, uh, more, I, I can confirm more than rumor. Like uh, DC did turn down the the pitch. I mean, that's why you reason. that's why you obviously see like Catwoman in there and whatnot. Yeah, Oof. yeah. I I read it because it was available at the library when I was getting comics at the library, and because at the time I was like Frank Miller, I'll give it a whatever. Some of his stuff isn't great, but I'll give it a try. Uh, it is as close to Nazi propaganda as has been released in the United States in my lifetime. Uh, it has horrific caricatures of, of Arabic people and anybody that he dislikes. And it is just the most hateful apologia for fucking torture and murder that one can imagine. So uh, reading it made me ill. I'm not like, I know we, we joke a lot on the show and that's fine. And I, you know, people are allowed to like what they like normally. That's, that's, it made me fucking ill reading this because it was such reading this. I was like, this is a person who want, who would, if you put him like in a room with a button and a bunch of Muslims in the, another fucking room and we're like, press this button and you will gas them. I think he would gas. Them. So like, I, don't, uh, I don't know if he's still in that mind space. But that's that was the feel that I got from this book. Holy Terror is the the one thing that I think that he has said. I, I was looking at it now because I've actually never even seen a copy of it, so I didn't know what it looked like even well, at all. We don't we don't carry it at the store on purpose. Yeah, it looks a um, lot like three hundred. It's that sideways. The art in it is decent, like in in the sense of Frank Miller's art is decent, although it's turned to caricature in a way that I don't like. It really does look like, you know, like in, in Nazi propaganda, they would draw caricatures of the Jews to dehumanize them. And there's an element of that. Like he's strongly dehumanizing the Arabic people in it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not okay. So, uh, it, did you have another point, Cody? Or can I real quickly, like... No, you say what, because I mean, I'm just... I, okay, whatever so, you have is probably more behind the scenes. Well, so there's a, there's a Guardian article. Uh, the Guardian, uh, I think it was dated... T- I can't find the date now. 2018, that's the oh, thing. Oh, you're, that you're reading up. that same article? Yeah, this is the, the he said I wasn't thinking clearly when I said those things because I right. knew. Okay, so that's that's so what in the article comments on uh, uh, yeah. Occupy Wall Street, I think. Well, but he does he does address holy terror. Give me a second. Okay. So uh, so it, he does talk about actually three hundred in here that I didn't notice until I flipped over to the article just now. Uh, he says, uh, you know, the Spartans are were a strange catalyst of democracy. They were utter fascists. They had the best land in Greece, and it was tilled by slaves and the citizens who were all soldiers to defend the territory. Athenians were the ones who gave birth to democracy, but Spartans made it all possible. So I guess that's his feeling about all that. But, uh, you know, addressing the holy terror thing, he says specifically, he says, uh, my stuff always represents what I'm going through. Uh, Whenever I look at my work, I feel uh, what mindset I was, or I... I can feel what mindset I was and remember who I was at that time. When I look at Holy Terror, which I don't do that often, I can feel my the anger ripple out of the pages. Those are places where it is bloodthirsty beyond belief. Does he have any regrets? Uh, asked the writer. 
I don't want to go back and start erasing books I did. I don't want to wipe out chapters in my own biography, but I'm not capable of that book again. So, I mean, that's his, that's sort of his take on it. So to be fair mm-hmm. to him for a moment. I, I mean, I'm glad that he recognizes that there was a lot of hate and fucked upness in there. Um, here's the thing when, about when people who've done fucked up things apologize. Artists who do fucked up things apologize. They should. Um, first off, I'm not, I'm not here to tell people to do things. Like this is a show about like when I talk about my opinions of things on this show, they're my opinions. If I say I don't think it's a it's a good thing to read, maybe you think it is. That's fine. It's your business. Um, there's a bit in Al Franken, a uh, book by Al Franken. Uh, I think I think Rush Limbaugh is a big fan idea. Speaking of people who have been me too, uh, and who had the good grace to vanish from public life because of it. Um, in there, he's talking about, I don't, Cody, this is probably before your time, but Aura, you might remember, there was a young woman who got into Harvard, and then she had her admission revoked because it turned out that she had killed one of her parents. But she had killed one of her parents in defense of the other parent because the parent that was killed was being abusive. And so it was something of a national outcry, like, was this yeah. fair? Uh, Franken had, and it took me a long time to really get what he was saying, I think. Franken makes a joke that I think is very important to understanding certain things, uh, which is, you know, her opinion was that she'd acted in defense and all this, and that that was reasonable. Harvard's opinion was that there were many other qualified applicants who had killed neither parent. Uh, it's a funny bit, I think, although neither I, of you laughed. No, no, no. I So I've just been thinking, <laughs> because I, we, we can absolutely... It's especially in the comics industry. It's so interesting. Literally just this week, I took multiple books to sell back to, or not back to, but to sell to game nut because they were books that I had bought before I knew certain for the store right there, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because they were things that I loved and were obsessed with before the creator had said things that, are, are of the same line, like things that I consider incredibly offensive and needlessly hateful. And exactly what you said, like uh, <laughs> the joke is the direct translation is I couldn't read all of the comics in the world in my lifetime. And there's yeah, still new exactly. ones being made every single day. Like sure. Yeah. You can argue about the merits of a book or something in its place in history, but just the same way that, you know, for a historical reason, we need to preserve things like Song of the South as an example of things at that time. It's not like I own that movie or I'm revisiting it all the time. I've read The Dark Knight uh, Returns and I've read some of these other things. I talk about Daredevil. I like Daredevil a lot, but there is a really easy line that you can draw personally, person to person on what's okay. And yeah, it's not like these companies still print those books. And I don't want to bury these. I, I don't like, I don't think that, I don't even think that a Holy Terror should never be printed again. I think it is an important, if anything, I think that it's maybe the most important thing Frank Miller ever did because it represents a certain mind frame that existed in America. That certain, yeah, the, another thing that's... to remember that. Okay. Of, um, Whoa, Cody. So I, I read some of his Hang stuff on. and I'd enjoyed it. And now I read this thing and it's changed how I, I view him. And there's plenty of other comics artists that have killed neither parent. <laughs> I, I'll just read them. Yeah. Sure. 
Uh, Josh, uh, what you said, though, about how Holy Terror might be the most important book he he published, mm-hmm. like, that that is, that's interesting. That's a really interesting take on this, actually, for a moment. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, like, I don't want to let that fish go so quickly, because I think, oh. I think you're, I think you're kind of right. Like, yeah. and that sucks to say because of what it is, but, you know. I think, like, I, I think it's, I mean, sucks to say is objective. I think that, I think you're right. I think that's important to say. It is a, a extreme distinction. Yeah. It's something, it's, and I I'd mean, say birth of a nation, but birth of a nation is more important for its formal qualities. Well, um, look. But it's, it's an objectionable artwork that is, says something very important about what people are. And I think it's important not to forget that. Yeah. The only other work that he's done that I'd say would really be comparable to that in terms of influence would be Dark Knight Returns, which really did change the superhero comics industry. Uh, there's there's some Daredevil stuff I think people would put oh, up with it too. Um, one, I, I'm just talking in terms of influence, not in terms of quality. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, it, yeah, Electra, Electra dying was a big deal in comics at yeah. the time. Uh, that is that, true. That is true. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to say, well, you know, like, so you have, but like James Gunn, you know. Yeah. He, he got in a bunch of trouble for saying something some number of years ago and you know they fired him off of things and like mm. it became a whole big deal um a couple of dumb jokes yeah um and people uh, were somehow surprised that the director of tromeo and juliet had made tasteless jo- right. or, sorry the writer is Lloyd kaufman directed uh tromeo and juliet had made tasteless jokes and and you know there were you know i th- I, I got the impression that people weren't willing to forgive him at least at first and I, and I just, you know, like, I was sort of stymied by that, you know, like, like, look, you know, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movement a lot of us have done that are, you know, 40-ish years old, you know, like, I don't, you know, I don't. We, yeah, we can all grow and change and learn as people, for yeah. sure. And you can definitely apologize for things that you have done in the past and be sincere about it. Uh, it's, I mean, it does still circle back to the whole, you know, you have your own taste and opinion, but, you can do whatever you want. But I think in, in your case, Cody, the books that you were talking about, that person still holds that shitty opinion and is yes. not interested in divesting of it. What? Yeah, um, 100%. And, and, and Josh, I'm not gonna, you know, berate you for your personal decisions. Because again, I've made the decision at mm-hmm. our store to not carry Holy Terror because yes. of because of the politics of it and because I don't want you know like yeah. if somebody wants to special order it that's fine we'll get it for them but you know like as far as you know carrying it on the shelf like you know I'm willing to carry Caligula from Avatar Press or you know like yeah we order some the, pretty uh, intense hentai at the store on a whim yeah. uh, we call it horse at the store Cody um <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, I made a decision some time ago that I was like, you know, no, not with Holy Terror. And, you know, um, it, it, so, so I don't disagree with your points. I, you know, but I, I do, you know, I do want to be fair to him. That was, that was the reason why I said those things or yeah. why I wanted to make sure that article was. Oh, no. That's totally reasonable. I, I want to, I'm not at all trying to be unfair. Yeah. And I'm glad that he, the impression that I've gotten isn't that he's become some sort of super left progressive person, but that he has, that there were things in his life that amplified his anger uh, 
in these sort of conservative semi-conspiracy channels mm -hmm. that he was sort of falling into at the time and that maybe he's taken a step back from that and come to understand that like and you can even think that you can think that islam as a religion is is often you could even think islam i don't you could think islam as a religion is a negative thing without the hatred that's in fucking that book it's definitely worth like i mean now we're at about 40 minutes in we should probably start talking about the spirit <laughs> probably should actually but talk about the movie in, uh, it uh, sucks so, uh, so favorites this week <laughs> <laughs> he is like a self-proclaimed like born and bred new yorker and he like more like just to a second degree that he loves talking about himself and the things that he's done he really likes talking about New York. And it's worth noting that Holy Terror is not an older book. That one was published in 2011. It yeah. definitely feels like it's kind of a gestation of some post 9-11 thoughts. Amplified oh, absolutely. By yeah. Um, and I mean, the only reason it's published in 2011 and not like what would feel more like 2004, 2005 kind of anger is because he couldn't find a publisher that would carry it. Yeah. It's also worth noting that he wanted this to be a, a Batman story, and they were like, "Yeah, absolutely not." And so he's like, "All right, I'll, I will make it Bandage Man." I gotta say, I would love to have been in that fucking meeting with the editor, who he turned it well, into. He was like, "Here's here's my next Dark Knight," and he's just like, "You're fucking joking, right?" We can't like, be look, too fair. You're profitable, and we like you. Not we can't this. be too fair to DC here because they were they had started the machine That's in motion true. saying uh, that this was going to happen. The original uh, name is Batman Holy Terror. Yep. Like, so they had some <laughs> semblance of like, we'll hear. Speaking of that, I think I said even somebody agreed to do this spirit movie before they knew anything else about it. It was Eva Mendez. I looked it up. Yeah. Spirit also came out mm. in 2008. So this is also mm. before Holy Terror came out too. One small correction oh, on the on the book that isn't what we're supposed to be talking about. I thought originally it was supposed to be Holy Terror Batman, which oh, Holy in addition Terror to the fact that making it Batman, a, yeah. in addition to making it you know attaching it to one of DC's most beloved heroes would also be such a fucking tasteless title. It's a it's like the Robin pun, like the Holy Rusted yeah. Metal Batman. It's clear that they're he was trying to do it with an air of. Uh, I mean, I don't know, whimsicality you don't it's not okay, we're done with I think, I yeah. feel like I, I've said what I have to say <laughs> the subject of that and, and, my, and my opinions on Frank Miller alright let's but get it let's break this turn your opinions open. and that's fine this is why I have mine <laughs> and you know if you have different opinions tell somebody or make a podcast or go outside and shout at the moon whatever <laughs> that's what we're doing all right, this movie. Josh, you didn't even rewatch it. Aura? No. I mean, I watched it like two weeks ago, so I think it's freshest in your head, buddy. It is freshest in mine. Um, it would be good briefly to mention Sin City, which is another of Frank Miller's best-known books. It was a series of noir-y, hyper-violent comics. Uh, it was adapted by real director Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> uh who was very much trying to do a like panel to screen and he did a fairly good job of it. Yeah. And the first Sin City Frank movie Miller, is really good. Involved Frank Miller in the direction process because and in the way we're being a little unfair because Frank Miller has had some 
experience with film, although he had never helmed a motion picture at this point. He had written some screenplays, though. And I believe he was let direct a scene for Sin City or something the, along those lines. It, and, and Robert was like, it's easy. See how easy <laughs> it is? And Frank, uh, Frank believed him. Um, see, the problem is Robert Rodriguez is a naturally fucking talented, amazing filmmaker who made his first film, uh, El Mariachi, for six grand. And it was an interesting enough action movie to give him a career. Uh, Frank Miller is not that naturally talented in film. There are a couple of points where I feel like in this movie, I can almost see the gears turning in Frank Miller's head during the production of this film. Like they're very, very obvious. And we'll get there. Are, Cody is not wrong. Like, cause I, I, I kind of have the same critique. Like, you can you can sort of see where he maybe had written one thing and then like while it was going on he's like no 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 let's do it this way and it's it, so the other thing is really interesting in noting is the fact that he got to be there for the whole sin city thing and that was his work but the spirit doesn't really look like sin city like if you look at the no. spirit comics if you look at the things oh yeah of that, I thought you meant the, the movie. The movie no, looks no, 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 a lot no, no. like. Yeah. No, well, yeah, that's uh, we're about to tie this all in. Uh, the, the spirit, the comic, is a, a detective story, and it's pretty rooted in the real world, if I recall. I don't think there are in the original really that many supernatural elements at all. The the origin of it, and to my knowledge, that is mostly it. Definitely, don't think there's anything about Jason and the Golden Fleece. Or <laughs> Herculean blood. Hercules, and, uh, Hercules. Oh my God. So Sin City is one of those things where Robert Rodriguez directing thing and Frank Miller's ability to fill a page like perfectly as a one man army for layouts work really well. And Robert Rodriguez did a really good job of adapting that for a lot of those like shot for shot things that comic book nerds love when you see in a movie, but he can also string it together in the way that makes sense for film. And yeah, you definitely, that's very important. (laughs) Yes. And the spirit from beginning to end feels like somebody who is like, I get film. I know how this works. Boom. Like here's my rough draft. It's finished. Yeah. But I can see where certain filming techniques that are done for the movie Sin City with the green screens and the flat coloring, he's like, oh, I see it. This looks easy. I know how to draw a background and I know how to draw perspective and like the things of that degree. So if I have a team of people helping me in post-production and editing and all these other things, you know, we can make it pop and, and look as stylized. But then he ends up shifting the spirit to his own thing so he can make it work because the only thing he's seen be made is like that his thing, if that makes sense. It's such a weird Ouroboros of this timeline and like these three movies, Sin City, The Spirit, Sin City 2, it almost feels like it's a trilogy of movies. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> One thing that I noticed in the end in particular 
Again, I haven't rewatched all of it. I just rewatched that ending. Uh-huh. Uh, how over the top it is. Like we have magic blood of heroes. We have people coming back to life. We have the police with Apache attack helicopters and grenade launchers. Uh, we have the octopus, uh, the villain played by Samuel L. Jackson, pulling out increasingly ludicrous guns to shoot the spirit with. And the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a comic book about a guy in a domino mask who uh, takes down mafia guys. Well, so the biggest... Uh, <laughs> why, why, are we, why are we treating it like it's an 80s action franchise? Well, so that was my... The, if you, I don't know which one of you guys has my copy of the movie right now and my post-it note in there. Uh, but uh, what, uh, what I... Uh, what I, I gave that back sp- to you. You, you. you didn't give me anything. Yeah, I did. I gave you all of the comics and... Uh, no, you gave me the, the DVD. I just didn't get around to watching it. Ah, uh, I gave it back. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. You were, you were saying your thing. It doesn't commit to a style. Uh, that's, that's, you know, it's, you know, it, it tries to be action movie. It tries to be noir. It tries to be comedy. It tries to, and it's just so all over the place. I think you can't nail it down. Um, but it, you know, it tries to merge those styles and, and does it unsuccessfully. Um, yes, those are my notes. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, your camera is uh, pixely enough that I can it, yeah. But, but, uh, Learn to lean you know, backwards, bro. It's yeah, that too, I guess. <laughs> um, it's all right. I I I remembered that point anyway, which was the biggest point that I had. That because I, uh, this is my second time watching this movie for a podcast, and my third time watching it overall. <laughs> so, uh, oh, additionally, uh, two out of the three times I did not make it through on one go. Uh, the second time I had to do it in three shots, the, this time I only had to do it in two, um, just cause I had to put it down and I had to walk away. <laughs> like, uh, cause this is, this is a frustrating enough movie for me, uh, the, that I just, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't drink it in, in one sitting. Um, or maybe it's too big of a chunk to, to eat in one sitting might be more apropos. Um, but you know, I, I was trying to sort of figure out like where this marries with the comic at all. And um, what, uh, what sort of ha- like what Wikipedia kind of says is that this comic was a comic strip that was like a 40 year long comic strip. Like it, you know, it, and over the 40 years of its sort of run, it, it morphed over time. It changed. So, like, it started out like a straight sort of noir kind of uh, comic strip and then becomes a superhero strip and eventually kind of lands in this comedy thing. But but the thing about it is, like, um, to a certain extent, like, it's it's sort of campy. Like, it's camp yeah. comedy. It's not like, you know, it's not good. I, okay, <laughs> like, I, have a, I have a really, really yeah. good parallel Go for this. So... Thinking of something that has gone from camp comedy to super serious is Batman. And uh-huh. for an example, when you look at the popular film adaptations, the first guy who really, really adapted it is Tim Burton with a more dark approach. It's not like Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns dark, 
but it's definitely darker than Adam West Batman, which up until like that point, I believe was the main live action or the, like really the only other thing up until Tim Burton. So then you get two super dark Tim Burton movies. And then the third attempt, which is one of my favorite Batman movies is the uh, Val Kilmer oh, one. Oh, sure. Where you start. Oh, I like, you know, Batman is a lot of things to a lot of people. We're keeping this, you know, Tim Burton live action motif, but we're going to start playing into some of these camp things, like being a little bit more like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, and then yeah. you lose all subtlety and Schumacher takes over and then it's all over the top and there's no serious left. And the spirit exists in that Val Kilmer one, but in the wrong way. <laughs> like, yeah, it has I that. Agree. I want to be something that's still serious I want you to think hard about this cool noir detective and why he and the octopus are like locked in fates, why they're the same. And also with no justification, with no talking about it at all, Samuel L. Jackson has been in most of this movie. And then suddenly for this whole scene, he's a Nazi. Yes. <laughs> with very big Nazi flags and Scarlett Johansson is also dressed as a Nazi. And then the next scene, they go back to their regular outfits and there's never any, like, even in the speech that he gives in that scene and his, like, bad guy monologues, it's not like he is giving, uh, like, a Hitler rally speech or anything like that. He doesn't ever even lecture. It's just he's wearing the outfit and there's a giant fucking swastika in the background. You're talking about the Nazi shit? <laughs> yeah. I was we're, talking about, we're talking about the lack of subtlety. <laughs> Ugh, the Nazi scene. Yeah, no, I it's, mean, I that, remember I think, it. <laughs> I think you're right, Cody. I think the lack of subtlety might be a part of the problem with it too. Uh, scrolling down, I mean, one of the things that one reviewer sort of said about it is there is not a trace of human emotion in it. To call the characters cardboard is an insult to a useful packing material. Oh, I guess <laughs> that was that was Roger Ebert who said that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Roger, we miss you. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> there were, I didn't always agree with his opinions on film, but God, could he cut down a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that, that hits the nail on the head. There's, especially on this podcast and Up All Night, we definitely recognize that there is, there is value in talentless schlock. You know, you can, yeah. there are the Ed Woods out there. Um, you can make something that is so bad, but it resonates with people in a way because it's like you put your heart and soul into it and there's all these, you know, a, a funny behind the scenes thing. The funny behind and, the scenes thing about this movie is it took 50 days to make. And, and we can appreciate, you know, strangeness. Uh, or I posted a link to a, to a movie's IMDb page earlier today on your, uh, yeah. your Facebook. Well, what movie would that be? Uh, Clownado, Josh. Clownado. <laughs> uh, I think that's evidence that we, I mean, we're not going to do it for a show or anything. I just saw like hell we're on not. a movie called Clownado, and I was like, well. <laughs> I already started to plan the, the further ado for it. Right? We could read some ICP comics and. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to do, we got to do the ICP movies if we do that. I don't. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I was trying to because because the the tagline for Clownado is they're totally twisted. And so I was like, is that oh. the band twisted? But I don't think it is. 
Yeah, I don't, it's probably not. Those guys have actual careers not involving making movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we we appreciate cheesy, stupid, goofy shit. This isn't it. It's, 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 it's just overly formal in its goofiness. It just so was it was it Frank Miller being tentative then you think? I no I think it's I think it's Frank Miller uh, high on his own shit I like because the other thing is that I I this is IMDb trivia so who knows if it's real or not but apparently he accepted the pitch meeting to direct the spirit and. Um, turned it down at first and then before he left the room he turned around and said no one can touch this but me and knowing that he was apparently close friends with eisner like i can see how maybe at the start of it he's like oh i'm maybe not necessarily doing him a favor but i'm doing you know i'm going to make this the right way and his I'm going to do justice to this material. Yeah, and then it's one of those things where it's like, okay, what do I know how to do? I know how to do the comics really well. And then I've seen somebody else make this movie, and that's fresh in my mind. Because Sin City 1 came out, uh, I'm trying to think of when, but uh, it's, oh, it's, it's worth noting that uh, this movie, The Spirit, for a comic book movie, also came out in the year that Iron Man was released. Yeah, no, uh, Christmas of that year, actually. Oh my God! Yeah, like so even a lot of people liken the spirit to being a Christmas movie, uh, which I, I I wanted to put another critique: the snowflakes in this movie are so distracting. Like, <laughs> it, it, it to me because the the snowflakes are like. I mean, over-the-top, like, Sin City snowflakes, you know? Yeah. And Sin City, like, had some subtlety to it. Again, this one doesn't, you know? like Sin City was 2005, so three years before this movie. I would say, in reference to what makes it so jarring, like, it seems to be what we were talking about there, um, I would say it's the mismatch between the techniques that he's obviously cribbing from, from Rodriguez and the kind of film that's been written because what's been written is sort of like be your thing and it would play well if it was <laughs> people won't necessarily like this one uh but if you gave it to uh in fact what's his name uh batman forever and batman and robin guy <laughs> you you missed that while you were gone i was i made the comparison okay. uh, schumacher joel schumacher. schumacher yeah schumacher uh you would get something that would at least match the tone if you did that, if you made it look more like Batman forever with like still dark, but with like all these neons and goofiness, but it has all of these like dark, if I recall, it's all these, it is mostly black and white, but reds in particular yes. that jump out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes it want to be very noir. -y. Yeah. It, it, visually it seems just, and it's again, I think it's because he's cribbing so much from the techniques used in Sin City, which is pretty, straight noir like yes. it's not all that over the t it's over the top in terms of like it's hyper masculine hyper masculine and, like, hyper sexualized in yeah. sin city uh but it's not over the top in terms of like action like marv doesn't pull out a fucking bazooka like when they're trying to fight the yellow bastard they don't commandeer a fucking fighter jet you know uh and they do they do shit like that in this um so it's going to be a mismatch 
you can't have that sort of noiry look and that crazy goofy it's <laughs> the script is here's a here's a funny way to put it i think the script uh-huh. is more comic booky than the direction yeah oh yeah that's a good that's actually really good this movie looks okay on paper for sure yeah this movie was definitely enough but it's also not like a big studio either oh no definitely it it was people that were okay with getting this out because they were like oh my god we have will eisner's name technically attached to this we have frank miller's name attached to this clearly people involved jumped on because of just that uh i i think it was mostly because i don't think anyone in the film industry knows or cares who eisner is uh i think people attached because of frank miller and i suspect robert rodriguez was pulling for him mm. like I, I suspect miller was like you know can you help me get this shit through and rodriguez was like sure yeah that seems um, like the kind of shit he'd do so something josh that you mentioned and i definitely saw aura's notes was uh let's talk over sexualization which is definitely something that also comes up in the up all night podcast that we record <laughs> uh is the spirit even half it like the original source material half as horny as the spirit character in this movie and he has a girlfriend Haley's already looking over because she had she had some things to say when we were watching this movie <laughs> I don't think the newspapers would allow you to be that horny. Yeah, <laughs> the, no. the comic book publishers. Uh, this Free movie code. fails the Bechdel test spectacularly. And there's so little. Like, who is... Le- the, the is it persona- Silk and Floss, the fucking Scarlett Johansson character? I can't remember. Who yeah. the fuck is she? There's also the other person who I thought was definitely the death personification that ended up just being the one like belly dancer lady. Uh, but yeah, even the personification of death, the like at the end of the movie twist of why the spirit like can cheat death over and over again is because death is this female spiritual embodiment type of thing. And she wants to be with the spirit because that's his something that's been set up almost as like, a superpower that he has is women find him irresistible and the the, kind of yeah yeah, the the allure of all of these other women throughout the movie that he has like been with or made out with or whatever uh is enough to pull him away from death's embrace so death is like jealous and but that like that's it there's no other explanation other than like a weird scene where he's drowning and you get that like kind of reveal and that's mm. kind of the crux of the end, like the final act of the movie. Like after that, he gets to come back and be the hero. But it's weird that like this, when it really boils down to it, it's that this guy was so horny, he couldn't stay dead. It's like, I got all of these. And that's the tongue in cheek part. He constantly refers to him as broads and dames. Like it's aware that it's supposed to be like noir, but that's not what noir is about. It's not just mm. about being horny for your dames i mean a little bit but i mean it was the thing about noir is it was being made under the hollywood production code so you had to sublimate all that shit like your horniness had a, a definite cap so mm. it had to be and i'm sure or having watched a ton of noir can speak to this like it's all through metaphor yeah absolutely i mean city that never sleeps which we just watched a few weeks ago i mean they couldn't even say she was a stripper <laughs> you mm-hmm. know like 
So when things like, or another example would be the Western where, you know, you have the saloon girl who's a prostitute, but you can't say she's a prostitute under the production code because that, that's bad. So she's a saloon girl. Like the fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone knows it means prostitute. Though. <laughs> so Haley uh, just wrote something down. Is an amazing thing that she's we can, being. She's being very helpful on our podcast. She is. She's helping remember the things that I can't. Yeah. Uh, we we so already we're about an hour in. We've talked about how this movie sends mixed messages. Uh, yeah. Haley just wrote down flip phones and question mark. There is something to be said about how baffling and confusing this movie is with its language, with its costumes with its set design, and especially with its prop design. Some characters are in 1940 suits. Some characters are in stupid, ironic t-shirts. Some people are in SS uniforms. Some people have flip phones. Uh, some people drive old cars. There's well, no, like... Some people have Apache attack helicopters. There, yeah, so there's I, no distinction. Definitely not from the 40s. <laughs> I, did, I did have a note about that on my thing, too, come to think of it, because... What I what I thought they were trying to reach for was the Bruce Tim timelessness of like Batman the animated series, mm. you know, like where well when does it take place? Is it the forties? Is it the you know? Uh -huh. But but instead it sort of betrays its own thing by creating timefulness through that same sort of like lens. And it's definitely worth noting like the the Bruce Tim behind the scenes for the Batman the animated TV show is such a rigid set of rules made to keep that exact thing vague, that timelessness aspect of things are here, but the cars don't look super like, I mean, I guess the cars look like old stuff, but like, you know, people don't have technology that looks crazily out of place. The main character in this movie, the spirit is very, very clearing, clearly wearing Converse Chuck Taylors throughout the entire movie and it's obvious that it's just because it's a style choice. Like Frank Miller thinks that that looks cool, but it, it's weird. The spirit is a forties character and it's jarring because they bring a lot of attention to it every single time. It's like, Oh yeah. Converse all-stars. Let's, there's another subject to sort of bring in from that. Like, I think it's interesting when you just said there, like wearing Chuck Taylor's cause clearly that's what Frank Miller thinks is cool. Uh, I didn't notice that in the bit that I watched, but Jesus, how fucking terrible, by the way, that they're wearing. Ugh. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think one thing that this illustrates, and I, it's, a, it's a thing that links it to the, the that podcast we'll never do, the comics we did for that, is the problem with bringing in superstars from, from another field is that they're often given a lot of creative latitude. Uh, which isn't to the best. I was thinking sure. about this about today. The, we talk about the production meeting and how Frank Miller was like, nobody else can touch this but me. That is the wrong thing to say. Mm -hmm. Like what he should have said is, let's see if we can get Robert Rodriguez involved and him and I can co-direct and try and make this thing work. Or something along those lines. Like, can we bring in, bring in people that I trust to I... help me work with this material? In a field that, that co-directing thing that he got for Sin City 2 was yeah. like a brand new thing then. Yeah. I recall. Like, the, and it, people made a big fucking stink about it, too. 
I think it was a guild thing in particular that the guilds never want to like, listen to Terry Gilliam talking about the uh, the screenplay of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I, like, the guilds have very strict rules about who's credited for what, and I think it was kind of well, a stink for that. Well, so like for for instance, Josh, you know, as a you know, if if Burrito Nine One One ever gets made into a into a feature film, like I'm not sure, you know, like you know, I would want that to go as a you know you know like as a direction without you, you know, kind of thing. And I you know I sort of feel like you would say the same about you know me, right? No. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my idea, man. I'll cut you out. <laughs> I'll fucking sell you out for a nickel. Uh, well, uh, you know. Um, Come on, you knew that no. was a joke. I was gonna. <laughs> but you but uh, you know, you fucking line like that. Come yeah, on, right. buddy. Right, right, right. No, no. But what I was thinking was the co-director thing. Like that, I feel like that would be where you know. Yeah. That's the sweet spot if you've got somebody who freaking develops something with you. You know. You're you're like, correct. If he wanted to continue the style that they had used in Sin City that it worked so well, he needed to bring along the fucking, honestly, the majority part of it, which was Robert Rodriguez. Because, and again, Frank Miller's a very talented artist and has a good visual sense. He's not a film director. Like, the performances in this... Jesus, fuck, the performances in this... <laughs> this from the bit I rewatched. Uh. Like, they don't chew scenery so much as they fucking pull a funnel in their mouths and, like, down liquid scenery into their throats until they explode from the bloating like Homer in hell getting force-fed donuts. Josh, your description right there, your metaphor was more subtle than the performances. It was. You can't, Samuel L. Jackson is a great actor, but you cannot let him go on. Okay, so that was the thing that I was specifically thinking of because there's all of the famous stuff about him being the bad guy in Kingsman, which is another movie based on a comic book directed by a semi-controversial figure. And his whole thing in that movie was like, oh, I felt like this bad guy needed a lisp. Nobody told me to do a lisp, but I just like, it was right for the character, so I just did it. And it's like, okay. Nobody's <laughs> talking about that movie just because of your lisp. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that movie was better in the sense that it's unmemorably bad. <laughs> what, the Kingsman? <laughs> oh, you don't like Kingsman, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I probably should rewatch it. Maybe I'd be more. I, the, the The final joke with the butt sex princess really left a bad fucking taste in my mouth. No pun. <laughs> no pun intended. Fair, fair. But like pun intended. It was totally intended. Uh, so that movie has like an eighty six percent like, and uh, the spirit has twenty eight. <laughs> I think that also speaks for itself in terms of like. This similar act. I mean, the actor is in both of them. Both of them, a bad mm-hmm. guy. Both a comic book thing. I. It's still mm-hmm. just somebody who knows. Samuel how L. To. Jackson doesn't say no to work. <laughs> no. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson will appear in anything if you meet his fucking salary. Yeah. You think he did because he likes Frank Miller? This motherfucking plane. <laughs> have, have, have you seen Samuel L. Jackson's politics? You think he did it because he liked Frank Miller? That's true. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, I believe, has repeatedly called Trump a motherfucker. <laughs> I can I can imagine in my head right now, like someday like one day during filming of this, Sam L walked in with like a Kangle hat, and then the next week Frank Miller also wore a Kangle hat. 
you got you got to Samuel L. Jackson is a great and fun actor, but the thing about having actors that are really good and really large in personality, especially when they're not your lead for fuck's sake, uh, you've got to use the director's pulpit to fucking rein it in. You really do. You like you don't feel anything at all for this main character. Like no, he doesn't. He's such a non-presence. <laughs> he he reminds me of there's this movie called Streets of Fire that I actually really do like, um, but the main character in that there's a similar problem where there's a lot of great performances and like sort of great over the top stuff in that movie. And the main character who's like what's the guy's name? I can't even remember his name because he's so fucking boring. Uh, and he's kind of just Mott. not much of a he just doesn't have a presence. He doesn't have a presence, and so like it really like the action is propelled along by the secondary cast and the villain. It's yeah, it, yeah, you're right. It, it's baffling. It kind of reminds me of a comic book thing too, of like your main character is your everyman, so that way any reader can kind of project their own thoughts and personalities onto it, even though you yeah. give them kind of things, but it's it's all like safe opinions and stuff. And then you round out your cast of other people with, you know, extreme and zany personalities to flesh out the rest of the world. But people end up bonding over those characters more. But you still, like Tom, like Tom Hanks, is, he's, he's made his career on being the everyman. But he still has a strong screen presence. Yeah. Like when he's on screen, you pay attention. He's, he's a main character and you can tell it because he's good at projecting that. This, George Clooney, I would say, is similar, although maybe a bit more like a bit more handsome than you. Uh, right. But he's still, he's good at playing a main character. You know, he's not necessarily, he's a point at which you can sort of enter the story, but he's, he has enough presence that you don't overlook him for the <laughs> world around him. And it's, that's important in film. There was uh there's never any point when you're watching the spirit when you're like, oh yeah, I relate to this uh sex crazed deathless maniac. <laughs> in the finale, he's in it for like two minutes of it, and he doesn't he's it's 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 the least interesting part of the finale. Like he gets shot and then he stands up and throws a grenade down a guy. <laughs> and meanwhile, Samuel L. Jackson is shooting helicopters down like fucking Wolverine. <laughs> oh my god like, wolverine versus a helicopter <laughs> like which what are you paying attention to the character who you're supposed to care about or the crazy crime lord with the nazi fetish and the infinite guns you know? yeah i definitely wondered so uh recently this week aura shared a meme about a uh, political alignment chart relating to villains in comic book movies. <laughs> and I didn't see it, that. It's funny thinking about it because this movie kind of started hit those same bars where you're like, okay, the main character is weird and I can't relate to him at all. Is this going to be one of those movies where it's like the good guy actually, or the bad guy, excuse me, actually has like a believable plot, you know, or a believable scheme? He doesn't. It's literally like, I want to fight the spirit. Also, here's a scene with my Nazi fetish. It's like, like he is just as empty and hollow as the spirit, which is funny because the whole point of the movie is like them, oh, we're equal. Because yeah. we had yeah. a near-death experience and now we can't die. But they're not equal because one of them is boring. 
<laughs> and the other one has a Nazi fetish. <laughs> and the other one is Samuel L. Jackson, one of the most captivating actors in the world. Uh, yeah, I Sarah Paulson is in this fucking movie. Yeah, that was. I didn't she even is remember top... until I looked at the fucking on the DVD. It has the cast list, and Sarah Paulson's on there. I was like, Sarah Paulson wasn't in this fucking movie. She is definitely not top billing for this movie, but it is hilarious how like how much her star has rose to fame. Uh, also, Scarlett Johansson feels like she is not a top billed person for this movie, even though she like clearly is now, and that's part of the pull to even trick somebody into watching this movie. This is pre-Marvel for her. That was really what made her. And it's so funny how her relationship to Samuel L. Jackson in this movie kind of has that Marvel thing too. Mm -hmm. Like they know each other, they have a history, but obviously like this movie is bad. It doesn't uh, have any type of like character extrapolation or anything. And in some ways, the characters they're playing in the Marvel series are more are somewhat similar to these. They're comic booky and similar. Like obviously, they're on the good side, but like, you know, uh, Nick Fury is like the the behind the scenes string puller, and Black Widow is the, you know, mysterious agent. Uh, but look at how much more restrained they are in in movies that are literal comic book movies that are supposed to be like they're superheroes, but the director understands that. The directors of those tend to understand that you have to keep these personalities within the role. Mm-hmm. Like you can't let them, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to direct somebody like Samuel L. Jackson or Al Pacino on your first feature. Like you just shouldn't <laughs> it should be against the law. <laughs> You're not going to do it. Well, there are, there are a billion Hollywood success stories of had a project wanted to do it but it's, it was so close to my heart. I decided to do a bunch of other things first and learn from those experiences and then yeah. make my passion project. And then they become famous for that. And then it's like, Oh, and now, now you can go back and look at their early work. And uh, you're right. This is like Frank Miller just going like, you know what? I think I'm ready to do Lord of the Rings. He hasn't yeah. even done his dead alive or beat the feebles yet. Yeah, you got to pay your dues. <laughs> you got to learn your craft. You got to fucking make an effort. And just being a screenwriter and, and having worked with your buddy on a film that's adapting your comics isn't fucking going to do know, it. To put a nice little bow on this whole thing, I think part of the thing that happened was Frank Miller has his reputation and his history with the comic book industry. And it's the exact same as the comic books that we read for these other people of I have knowledge of my of my industry. Why can't I tell that story in a different format? Mm-hmm. Seth Green is a great actor. Seth Green is a decent director too. Uh, yeah, I like Robot Chicken quite a lot. And those comic bit bookmen guys, I'm sure made a fuckload of money. You know, great yeah. business acumen. They're <laughs> Shit, funny as uh, Steve Dave. <laughs> hey there, Steve Dave. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh but yeah that's why this is a good month theme i think it's just because these are just they're just people that shouldn't have been and, and people keep doing it is a fun one is 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 uh wrestling like whatever wrestling gets a celebrity uh you know david arquette will win a fucking belt in wcw <laughs> or they'll let robocop turn up at fucking wrestlemania <laughs> or they'll let snip beat, beat up yeah it happened look it up 
I think, no, <laughs> no, RoboCop was RoboCop might have been WCW. It might have been Terminator at at, at, w, at WrestleMania. Oh my um, god! Uh, Snooki uh, got to throw around some of the women in the women's division, which at the time <laughs> was the divas division and and wasn't very respected. And I'm sure watching supposed athletes getting worked over by a fucking drunken skank didn't uh, <laughs> didn't really help their reputation much, did it? You can't like you bring in these people because they're celebrities, but you can't, you know, you you can sometimes ruin the credibility of your own art form because you got to recognize the importance of your form, and that's why, however many times they ask, uh, we will not let uh, Kevin Smith on our podcast. That one doesn't work. Damn it! I'm trying to I was trying to come up with a name real quick to pull into this. Joe Damn Rogan. It. <laughs> I was trying to no somebody who doesn't have a podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was the joke I was going for. Oh. David Lynch. I will not let David podcast, Lynch on my podcast. Though. I don't. I don't know yeah. anybody who doesn't have a podcast. I don't think David Lynch does. This would be like if we if we you know told Kyle he could be back on the podcast. You know? <laughs> yeah, we don't want to do that. He's forgotten more in a year than I've learned in 25. <laughs> Fucking Kyle. Um, that dude ruins my life almost once a week. <laughs> like, uh, and he's not even on a podcast with you anymore. I know. Right. Well, Co- Cody heard me bitching about it this week. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> he, he regrets absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, yeah, that I mean, he never did on the pod either. That was a part of his, you know. He's yeah. so happy to not have to pretend like he's doing work anymore for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there were some pretty good Kyle shows, though. Oh yeah, there were. Great dude. Um, yeah, we miss him in a, we miss him in a not missing him way. Yeah. <laughs> Will we love him from a distance? Uh, we're already kind of at that wrapping point. Do we need to Ooh, do... I think we're past it. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to do bumpers, or are we doing a one quick thing a week? Uh, we're doing trash or treasure first. Oh, that's... Back. Fuck. Yeah, we're gonna go way over. <laughs> is it trash, or is it treasure? Da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, so, trash or treasure is a bit that we do for uh, the, the Further Ado podcast, where uh, one of us goes online to try to find... Uh, something uh and something else and figure out which one is worth money and which one is uh is worth less money uh so i decided to find a frank miller and will eisner joint uh today um so uh frank miller of course very pot uh very uh influential in daredevil uh daredevil uh issue 232 the first appearance of nuke versus a will eisner cover for sam uh uncle sam quarterly number one which one is trash and which one is treasure? You said first appearance in Nuke? Yep. All right. Roll those both by me again. It is uh, Daredevil, issue 232, and Uncle Sam quarterly number one. First appearance of Uncle Sam? No. Were there any first appearances in the Uncle Sam? Uh, not that I saw in the eBay description. Okay. Uh, I will um, go with uh, the Daredevil as the treasure. Yeah, that's my pick too. Oh man, I tricked you guys. Yeah, it was uh, 
And, uh, Daredevil is three dollars. Uncle Sam Quarterly is three hundred dollars. Wow! Yeah, I just thought Daredevil would have gone up because the nuke was on that fucking show. I thought so too. That's why I was like, "Oh, this is the one." <laughs> so that's crazy. Um, who gives a fuck about Uncle Sam? <laughs> Alex Jones. And I mean, people like Frank love, Miller. Well, it was I love only Uncle a, Sam and the Freedom Fighters. Don't get me wrong. It was only an uncle. It was only DC. a cover too, which is interesting. So, <laughs> Ugh. um, all right, now we can talk about the one thing a week. One thing this week. Bloop bloop bloop. Yeah, the spirit is definitely not a thing that you should enjoy or partake or consume in any way this week. Uh, so here are three alternatives <laughs> from each one of us. Does somebody else? I, 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 I can smell Josh's gears burning from here. He forgot that we do this. so. No, I got it. Oh, you got yours? I was going to offer to go. Yeah, oh, go, because I don't I'm have sorry. mine. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've done this one before. I don't think I have, but if I have, I don't know. Fuck you. <laughs> the video game. I've been doing a lot of video games lately, but I've been spending the quarantine playing a shitload of video games to try and get through my giant backlog of shit that I bought off Humble Bundle. Uh, <laughs> Humble and actually for consoles, which isn't off Humble Bundle, so I guess I'm just wasteful. Uh, the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 1. Uh, it's a RPG in the Legend of Heroes series, which is this company called Falcom that are really a, a smaller Japanese boutique company, mostly famous for the Xanadu series of fantasy games, the like action fantasy games, but also this RPG series. Uh... Their game engine is extraordinarily beautiful, and if you like classic JRPG look and gameplay, it's really great. It's set in a military school in this fantasy kingdom uh, with a strong divide between the common and noble classes. Uh, there's a sort of Persona-esque school element, although it's not nearly as complex as Persona's. Uh, it's very linear, but the story that it tells is actually surprisingly deep in terms of uh, the history that's been designed between all these different fantasy nations. Uh, and I'm not even that deep into it because there were, in addition to this, there's the other Legend of Heroes series, which is the Trails in the Sky, uh, which I haven't played any of. So it makes constant reference to those. And I'm always like, I don't, I don't know who these fucking people are. Um, but it's a, it's a great deep uh, world building game uh, that I'll probably play some more of when we're done talking. <laughs> Because I just I just got to the end of uh of chapter four right when we started. <laughs> Cody, you want me to go? Uh yeah yeah you can go. So uh you know I've uh I've been spending quarantine uh watching a lot of Star Trek with my wife. Uh so on my own though uh I uh after she goes to bed I I I've been watching uh some Super Sentai. I got uh, some much We're legit after dark. Yeah, I got, I got some much legit copies from Malaysia um, of uh, of uh, Bakuru Sentai Abba Ranger. Uh, I butchered that most certainly, uh, but it's uh, what ends up becoming the American version, uh, uh, Power Rangers uh, Dino Thunder. So it's uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> The 2003 series is where I'm at in my in my uh, 
in my Super Sentai watch through. I'm going to have to skip some of them, though, because some of them don't even have uh, much legit copies in existence anywhere. So, uh, but, but that's uh, what I'm working my way through right now. Um, it's warming up to me. It's some of these power, uh, some of these Super Sentai series, they start out sucky and then like get better. Um, this one is one of those that starts kind of bad and like now has started to grow on me a bit. Uh, I will go with the Bloodborne comics this week. I think I had Bloodborne as one of my games or just like thing in general that I was doing in a previous week. But uh, I felt guilty about picking up the comics before I had finished the game. So that was definitely like something that I personally wanted to do. And I can say, having played the game now, the comics are uh, amazing for what they are, which is almost the exact same feeling of playing the games. You don't feel like you're getting necessarily the whole picture, if that makes sense. Like you're not getting all of the details, but you're watching something just like unfold and they're very uh i would say eldritch horror but it's more cosmic horror and like a you know everything that you're doing not your or, word cody what <laughs> cosmic horror <laughs> never mind karen did i say karen <laughs> uh it's just like outside of your control you're just like living in this world type of thing so there's there's four different collections of the bloodborne comics but it's just been like one through issue like 18 or 21 or something like that so there's more coming but it's it's fantastic art and for all of them it's been the exact same team of people uh very cool if you like monster designs or you like the look of the from software games any of the dark souls or Bloodborne or Sekiro, and you're uh, maybe too intimidated to play those video games, the comics are a great way to get into that world as well without having to play the game. <laughs> that is that is what happens there, right? Yeah. Da, 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 da. All right. Uh, yeah. Any bumpers? Is that what we're doing uh, now? I'm, I'm working on it loading. <laughs> uh, I, was, I guess... I'll just I was go trying. Ahead. I was trying to find it while uh, while you were talking, and then and then uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna. I know it's gonna come up at some point in time anyway, so I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. The art for our podcast or our podcast logo is done by Abby. Uh, you can contact Abby and see that some of the, her other work at her Instagram, which is Rosari Art. R-O-Z-A-R-I-A-R-T on Instagram. So our podcast logo looks awesome. So uh, Further Ado is a proud presentation of that podcast productions. You can find all our podcast blogs and assorted nonsense at that dot, or that thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. You can also find us on Facebook at That Podcast Stays Up All Night Slumber Party. Uh, we're on Instagram, I'm sure. You can find something there. Uh, we're on Twitter. Are we on Twitter, Cody? We're on Twitter. Oh yeah, have you tweeted? Hey, what's on our Instagram? Oh, have you? But have you tweeted? Well, what's on our Instagram? 
uh, a, a coming soon logo. Now what's on our <laughs> what's on our, <laughs> our our currently on our Twitter? I believe is one uh, old school monster <laughs> gif retweeted. I think is all that's been on our Twitter for the last uh, thirty five episodes. I'm sorry, <laughs> I edit these. <laughs> Josh has got to be loving that, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we need a social media person. <laughs> yeah, we do. Hey, uh, send us some viewer mail. Do you want to be a free unpaid intern? Oh, uh, we have. I th- we did have viewer mail. I'll just save it for the next episode. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so uh, if podcatchers are your thing, you can uh, you can find that podcast productions on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or you can just add the RSS feed from our website. Uh, you know. Uh, if uh, you know, remember to subscribe and review, and email your comments at that.podcast.productions at gmail.com. Uh, yes, we love the viewer mail. Um, Josh, hey, uh, you want to talk about our sister show? Hey, if you like girls and you like comics and you like underrated 80s band talk talk, then you should listen to Girls Talk Comics. It's a short podcast about comics with two girls and. It has a lot to do with uh, with the mixed band girl talk, which I will that's always I, make reference to. You can find them on girlstalkcomics.fireside.fm. Ooh, that was that was very intriguing what you did there. The anticipation, Lady. right? Anticipation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man! They're coming for you, Tim Curry. <laughs> I can sing that Halloween song too. Is he dead or Canadian? Uh, <laughs> An important distinction. Well, uh, are, are you familiar with that? That's a that's a reference Halloween. that predates Cody. I think. Are you no. familiar with that reference, yes. buddy? Yes. Oh, you are. Uh huh. From uh, from uh, MTV's short-lived game show. State or um, Silent Library? Called? No, no, this was uh, way before that. Remote control. Remote control. That's what that was. It and one of their categories on every episode With was John dead Stewart. or Canadian. With John Stewart and Colin Quinn. And Colin Quinn. Ooh. Yeah. Who'd have when thought those guys were, When those guys <laughs> were both actually young people. Yeah. And Colin Quinn, like, he had a career that I'd kind of expect, but John Stewart, fuck, right? <laughs> right. Uh, okay, uh, so what's coming up on the next shows, uh, Josh, Josh, Josh? I don't fucking know. Uh, oh, fair enough. Uh, we'll be doing on, we're doing a show called That Podcast Stays Up All Night, and where we do movies of USA Up All Night. Uh, look it up. Uh, we'll be doing a movie called Murder 101, which is a made-for-TV movie. With Pierce Brosnan. Oh, don't sound uh, so then, don't sound so excited. It's not an exciting movie. Oh, listen to the podcast. Uh, then next month for that podcast we'll never do. We're doing I don't know two fucking comic books about a quiz thing that I don't know anything about. Uh, I put it Where on the they? board. I put it on the board like ten minutes ago. Didn't you check? <laughs> and, I did. I, I saw that they were there, and then I didn't memorize it. So what are the fucking comic books, all right? Uh, all of the Answers, which is a graphic novel, uh, and Form of a Question, 
which I think is also a graphic novel, but might be a comic. I'm not 100% sure because I haven't gotten that one yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's it for this nonsense for, for 45 minutes on why I hate Frank Miller and that brief discussion <laughs> of a shitty movie. I don't, I actually don't think we did the walkthrough on it either. Just, you know, to, for oh, the sake okay. of posterity. We totally like, uh, uh, man, I don't know how you would. This movie There's is a such guy a... and he's shot and he comes back and then he fights a black guy because he's a racist. there was definitely i remember some stuff about that at the time would be like people saying like is this movie racist because the octopus wasn't black he was just always in the shadows i didn't remember that at all i didn't mean to actually accuse him oh (laughs) i mean i i guess i did mean to accuse him of racism when i was talking about fucking holy terror but not for this yeah there is nazi stuff in this movie yeah, but it's, I don't know, for Frank Miller, it's like low-key Nazi stuff. There's always <laughs> a little Nazi stuff with Frank Miller. <laughs> low-key is so funny, the giant, massive swastika thing that's in the background permeating, like, every visual in that scene. No, that's that's low-key Nazi stuff for fucking Frank Miller. <laughs> More color than in half that movie is in that flag. I mean, the Dark Knight Returns continuity has a woman with fucking swastikas for nipples. Yeah, she makes her way into kick-ass. Oh, God. All right. That's it. Right? This is the end? My city. I cannot deny her. My city screams. She is my mother. She is my lover. (laughs) I am her spirit. Why is it his mother and his lover? That's not okay. (laughs) Frank Miller has some Oedipal things. You gonna you gonna go drink the blood of Hercules now, uh, uh, Cash Money Cody? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go uh, tie on a rub uh, golden fleece, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Pay yourself back. <laughs> uh, any go, any go big eat. plans, Josh? Uh, no. Are we still on air? 